0: One of the first teachings that I did um, was on finances, and one of the lines that I said was, you know, we talk about money today, but the rest of the year, we talk about sex and scrapbooking. And uh, Mike uh, was one that was like, dude, I've been waiting on that teaching, is today the day? So it's not, but good thought anyways. Hey, last thing I'd like you to pull out is this little card right here. When Brad invited Mike, he didn't have a tool to actually connect with a coworker. but we have a tool for every single one of you this week to connect with a coworker or a person that's in your family or a friend to invite them to come next week. And uh, we're going to pray here for a second that God would use these, that we wouldn't just leave them in the program or throw them away, but we'd actually invite some folks and uh, see what God would do as He whispers to us over the next Uh, series um, as we grow closer to him. So if you would, take this, don't throw it away, Um, do something with it by inviting someone next Sunday. Let's pray. God, we thank you so much for uh, Brad and Mike's story and the impact that it's had on their lives, the lives of their family. And God, we thank you that Brad was willing to step out and invite and that Mike had an openness uh, to hear from you and to draw closer to you. Help us this week, God, to have your eyes as we look at our co-workers or friends or family members, to walk across the room or to walk across the factory floor, to walk down the neighborhood to a neighbor, God, and to... Take a step that might be the step that helps them on a process towards eternity. God, we ask now that you would come through the power of your Holy Spirit and that you would teach us and that we would find the power to build up others rather than tearing them down. Come now, Holy Spirit, in this place, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen. I love to look out every single Sunday at all of you, because all of you are different. And that's a really good thing. Some of you are big. Some of you are small. uh, Some of you have hair. Some of you are follically challenged. But there is like this kaleidoscope, when we look out and we mix all of us together, in which... There's a broad range, and we're all different. We all have uh, different frames. I mean, some of us have a big front porch, and some of us got a big back porch. And some of us, uh, when it comes to, um, you know, room for rent upstairs, if you know what I mean, some of us have that, you know, as well. And speaking of of houses, a while back I was watching a television show that I'm sure many of you have watched before called Extreme Makeover, The Home Edition. Anyone ever see that before raise your hands? um, It's on Sunday nights, and I love this show. I love to watch it. Uh, The only problem is I don't watch it a lot because I cry every time by the end of the show, and my wife looks at me and says, come on, sissy boy, get it together, you know? But the last time that I watched it, the family that they worked on, their home was filled with mold. And so they went to this mold-infested kind of house, and they tore it down, even removing the foundation. And all you saw was a dirt lot. And then they began this huge construction for this new family. They built a brand new foundation. They framed it up. They finished it out. They painted all the rooms. They put in new appliances and furniture in all the rooms. And then the final segment, you know, they tell them to move the bus, and then they revealed this brand new home to this family. And that's when I started crying like a baby. Now, there were tons of people that helped with this extreme makeover. And at the end of the show, they showed this family and there were these tons of subcontractors that were all around them who had worked on this family's new home. You know, I was thinking about it that that show kind of has a real connection to life in general. You see, God is kind of like the architect of the house. And the Holy Spirit is kind of the contractor. And then He calls you and me to be subcontractors in the lives of other people. Now, we've been in a series called Pronoun in which we've looked at certain words to try to figure out the impact they have on our lives. We've talked about the they, that there's a wrong they, And there's a right thing. We've talked about you and our experience of being connected with God. And we've talked about us, how we connect with others. And each of us are affected by these words. And today, I want to talk about our final kind of word, and the word is it. Let's all say that together. It. Okay. Now, you might be asking, what is it when it comes right down to it? And it is building value and dignity in the lives of others. That's why it equals. It is about building healthy esteem in the lives of the people around you. You see, folks, every single person who's here this morning, you're an influencer. There are medical professionals. There are managers. There are teachers. We have administrators and business owners. We have bankers. We have students and salespeople, factory workers, police officers, firemen, EMTs. And here's the question. Are you building it into the lives of the people that are around you? Are you building it into the lives of people that you connect with daily? Are you building dignity and value, and substance, and meaning into the lives that you come into contact with every day. If you would, I'd like you to just turn to the person beside you and look into their eyes, okay? So if you have to move a little bit or turn around, uh, look in their eyes just for five seconds. Go ahead. Now, I know that some of the wives right now, or girlfriends, are saying, that's the first time that you've looked at me in my eyes for months, you know? Well, folks, whoever you locked eyes onto is someone who matters to God. You see, folks, people matter to God. What you just looked at was God's masterpiece, I mean, I've never locked eyes on any other person who Jesus Christ did not go to a cross for. That He died for them. So every person you see, every person you come into contact with, matters to God. And our opportunity is to subcontract some of this stuff to help them build a foundation and a framing and a finishing out of a healthy self-esteem in their lives. So the question becomes, how do we do it? How do we build a healthy self-esteem in the lives of the people around us? Well, first of all, you have to realize that every single person that you come into contact with is a construction site. And that God has called all of us to be subcontractors. Now, in developing a construction site, what you have to realize is that we spell site a little bit differently. So it's up on the board. Let's spell site together, okay? S-I-G-H-T. Okay. So you all got an A so far. Now, what I want to do is take this concept of a construction site and help you to see how you can build self-esteem in the lives of people around you. First of all is the S. And the S stands for see and support. You've got to see a person and then you've got to support their uniqueness. You see a person, and then you support their uniqueness. How many parents uh, do we have in the house today? Raise your hand if you're a parent. Okay. A lot of us. Now, parents, single parents, the reason your hands were tired when you lifted them up, and some of you couldn't even do that, is because parenting is tiring and difficult and tough. And it amazes me so often that you can have the exact same kids who were raised in the same house by the same parents, and they can be totally different. I mean, that will mess you up, you know? You try to discipline one way, and it doesn't work whatsoever. You try to encourage one way, and it doesn't work for the other kid. Now... I have uh, two girls, a four-year-old and a two-year-old. And uh, I love applauding my girls, even though they're very different. I love applauding them when they act like me. You know, it's like, you're a chip off the old block, Shiloh. Way to go, you know. All right, Jordan, that's great. And I like that, and that's incredible. But when they're different than me, like when they're like their mom, It's hard sometimes to see and support the uniqueness in each of their lives. And that's why parenting is so tough. Now, just think about it, for instance, even in your work environment, in your workplace. Maybe you have some people that report to you. Maybe you're a teacher, maybe you're a manager, maybe you're a medical professional. And think about the people who support you and help you and report to you. Do you turn to them and do you support them? Do you help them? Do you see the uniqueness in them? Because I have a tendency sometimes as a leader to try to make people like me. I want them to react like me. I want them to think like me. I want them to do certain things like me. And all of us have a temptation to the people who are around us to take people and make them like ourselves. And yet the power of it is this. I got to see and support a person's uniqueness. That I applaud them. That I give them a high five for the fact that they're different from me. Now parents and those of you who manage people... Uh, This is a very, very difficult thing to do. You know that. Because people are different, you have to manage them differently. So the Bible says this, in 1 Corinthians 13, it says this, love does not demand its own way. It says, when you love, it does not demand its own way. Whenever I think about supporting or seeing someone uh, build up the uniqueness of another person, I think of a friend of mine who's named Tom and his wife's name Amy. Now both of them loved sports. They participated in sports. They're big sports buffs. And uh, they had four kids and three of those kids got into sports, did everything with sports. But their youngest son, Jeff, did not do that at all. Now Jeff was tall and lanky He'd be a great basketball player or baseball player. He had kind of natural giftedness. But they exposed him to sports, but Jeff was like, no, I don't don't want sports. What I like is music. Now, Tom doesn't know jack about music. He can't sing. In fact, he is tone deaf. It's like some of you, when you sing, you know it's just bad. Um, It just is not good, and that's the way... Uh, Tom is. I mean, Tom liked sports, but Jeff liked music. But over time, uh, Tom began to see Jeff's uniqueness, and I watched him kind of get into Jeff's world. I watched him to go to piano recitals, to see him watch his son lead at church, and finally, even drama and plays, he got involved in, and Tom would go and support him. And every time that I would watch this or I would get some email about what was going on, I was like, God, that's it. That's the way you support, when you see someone, you support their uniqueness and you lift them up. Are you always trying to make people like you? Saying things like, well, I would have done it this way or I would have done it that way. I don't know understand why you're doing it that way, so forget you, do it my way. You see, folks, our kids and people who report to us, they are dying for applause in their life. They're longing for anyone to kind of build them up and lift them up for the things that they do that are unique. So you see them and you support them. The I stands for inspire that if you want to build healthy self-esteem, you inspire people with responsibility. You inspire them with responsibility. Now let's go back to parenting, for instance. One of the best things you can do for a kid is when you give them responsibility, when they can actually swim, and you say, you can go into the deep end now. I remember when Jordan finally was able to go in the deep end. She had floaties on, but she could do it in the deep end. All of a sudden... She was great because she did it on her own. It could be, here are the car keys. It could be the first babysitting job. Whatever it is, you have to inspire responsibility. How about managers or teachers or medical professionals or factory foremen, whatever? You need to give people responsibility as well. Because when you give people responsibility, what are you doing? Some of you are like, oh, it's coming off my plate. I don't have to do it. No, no, no. That's maybe another benefit. But you're giving them self-esteem. You're building them up. You're saying, hey, go for it. You matter. You can do it. You're unique. You're one of a kind. Folks, with responsibility always comes better self-esteem. I mean, just think about Jesus Christ and what He has given to us. He says, you guys, not just me, but you guys too, we are to build His church. He says, I'll give you finances and then I want you to steward them back. He says, I'm going to give you unique gifts and abilities. And then He wants us to use those gifts and abilities for Him, to worship Him, to touch the lives of other people. So folks, God is all over responsibility. And we should be as well. Now, I love basketball. I love it. And uh, I can always tell the difference between a good coach and a bad coach. I mean, there are a lot of great coaches I know, and there are a lot of sorry coaches I know. And you know how you can tell a sorry coach, right? The way you tell a sorry coach is, is when the game is going on, and a kid makes some kind of mistake... Maybe he throws an errant pass or whatever. All of a sudden, ah! Kid goes over and sits on the bench. Get back in there. Another kid. He shoots the ball wrong. Ah! Go back over. Coach says, sit on the bench. And pretty soon what happens is you have these players and they are fearful and afraid and paralyzed because they think, ah! Ah! And they're just constantly being taken out of the game and thrown onto the bench because of the mistakes that they make. And I just wonder if we ever do this in the work environment. You tell people, Ah! Get out of the game! Get out of the game! Get out of the game! Ah! 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 ah. And you're like, oh! You're not building anybody up whatsoever. And if you're a parent, do you ever do that with your kids? Folks, the key is responsibility, even when they fail. Because when you're building responsibility into people's lives, you're building healthy self-esteem. Jesus, after he resurrected from the dead, he came into a room and he was with his disciples, his closest followers. And he wanted to build them up. So in chapter 20 of John, he said these words. He comes into their presence and he says, Peace be with you. As the Father has sent me, so I send you. He encourages them. He says, hey, now you've got to take my message and carry it out to the rest of the world. He gives them responsibility. He builds them up with responsibility. And we must do the same. The G, give correction carefully. If you're working on a building site of a person's life, you have to give correction carefully. Now, this is the issue. Sometimes people think that when you build dignity and value and meaning into people's lives, That everything that happens is going to be, you know, kind of like happy and peppy and bursting with love. Happy and peppy and bursting with love, you know? And folks, the reality is that that's not the way that life works. And what happens? People start feeling guilty. They feel like I'm wrong or I'm a sinner. I'm not walking in sync with the Savior. And that's just a bunch of bunk. Because the reality is, if you are in a relationship with any other person, sometimes you have to say hard words. You have to say tough words. And the Bible says this is the way we should do it. It says, speak the truth in love. That we are to speak the truth in love. But so often, the truth is very difficult to swallow isn't it? It's very hard to hear that. The Bible says that Jesus disciplines us. He disciplines people that he loves. If he loves you, he disciplines you. So who does he love? He loves you and me. Now, he doesn't punish us. That's why you have to see the difference. God doesn't punish us but he disciplines us so that we become better and better in what we're doing. You see, Jesus Christ already took the punishment, the full punishment when he went to the cross so that you would never have to worry about any sin in your life. No matter what it is, he nailed it to the cross. But sometimes he disciplines us so that we get directed more towards the cross than towards ourselves. I've really only read about one business book and only part of it actually in my life. But it was a very good book, and it's uh, called The One-Minute Manager by Ken Blanchard. Anybody ever read that, One-Minute Manager? Okay, a couple. Well, you should, okay? But anyways, when you read that book, what you find is that he just plagiarized Scripture. That's all he did. He plagiarized the Bible. And most business books are like that. They just take the Scripture out of context. They're ripping off the Bible, basically, and making money. Yay, God. Um, The cool thing, though, is that Ken Blanchard is actually a uh, follower of Christ. He came to Christ in the last few years. And I encourage you. But the whole book is about giving correction carefully. He says things like this. Whenever you have to correct someone, you affirm the relationship. You tell them what you appreciate in them. You talk to them. You say, hey, you know what? You're really kind, or you're cool, or blah, 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 blah. And then... You give the reprimand, and then you affirm the relationship again. So you affirm them, you give the correction, and then you affirm the relationship again. But folks, when you do this, it's not always going to be happy and peppy and bursting with love, you know. There's going to be sometimes, there's going to be difficult situations. You know, folks, today, when you think of kids, that's what they're longing for. They're longing for some discipline in their lives. They want boundaries. They want guidelines. They want sidelines. They want guardrails. A few months ago, uh, I was in a car with uh, some friends of ours, and our kids were in the back seat, and um, the father was uh, sitting here, and all of a sudden, the kid, his kid uh, was behind him, and she started kicking the seat. And he just kept talking. And all of a sudden, he's like this, you know. I mean, the guy almost has whiplash by this time. And he's like this, and he's still talking. And I'm driving, and I'm seeing all this, and I'm thinking, man, if Jordan ever did that, I'll tell you what I'll do. Well, this week, we were coming back from Fazoli's as a family. Jennifer was driving. I'm sitting in this seat. And all of a sudden, like any child, Jordan starts kicking the back of the seat. And I turned around and I said, Jordan, please stop kicking the seat. And just like any you know, pastor's kid who is obedient, she kicked the seat some more. <laughs> so I turned around and I said, Jordan, if you don't stop kicking the seat, you're not going to watch your little bear video tonight. And just how her mom is so obedient all the time in our relationship, uh, Jordan started kicking it again. And she's kicking the seat more and more. And finally I turn around and I say, Jordan, no video tonight. And if you keep on kicking it, you will not have a video tomorrow. Well then, I look, some of you are even going, oh. And all of a sudden, she's crying. Daddy, I'm sorry. I love you. You know? And she's like, Can I have the video tonight? You know, because I think she's going to be an attorney. Um, And so she doesn't. And I, you know, at that moment, I wanted to say, okay, I love you. It's fine. It's no problem whatsoever. But I was studying on this whole concept of correcting, you know, carefully. And I turned around and said, Jordan, I love you. You're daddy's little girl, but you'll get no video tonight. But if you obey, you can have one tomorrow. Friends, it's very important to give correction. It's important to give discipline. It's important to speak the truth in love with people around you. Because it builds up their self-esteem. And kids are crying for it. Whenever I see a kid who has a discipline issue, you know what I see? A kid who is crying out for discipline. They're wanting it in their lives. So, in the home, in the workplace, wherever, it is imperative to give correction carefully. Here's the H. The H stands for hear their messages. You've got to hear their messages. Look at this next scripture. It says, My dear brothers and sisters, be slow to listen, quick to speak, and quick to get angry. Oh, I'm sorry. That's the way I read it sometimes. That's the Chris Bunch translation, you know? Uh, yeah, sometimes I do that. Okay, let's look at what the verse really says. It says, my dear brothers and sisters, be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to get angry. It's like quick, slow, slow. Do that with me, Okay, quick, slow, slow. Okay? And you should practice that this week. Quick, slow, slow. That's what you've got to do. If you want to hear the messages of the people around you, you have to be quick and then slow, slow. So how do you hear someone? Well, you listen to them. My wife Jennifer and I had only been married a few uh, years, and uh, we were watching television, and uh, I was sitting watching ESPN. Shocker, you know we're watching ESPN, and Jennifer's not really watching, but pretty soon she says, honey. I'm like, yeah. She's like, honey. I'm like, yeah. She's like, honey. I'm like, yeah. She's like, honey. I'm like, yeah. And she walked over, and she grabbed my face, and she turned it over like this, and she said, listen with your eyes. And I thought, wow. You know, the people that I love, the right they in my life, you know, the people who build self-esteem in my life, they don't have to say much. In fact, they just need some eye contact. All they have to do is give me a little bit of their eyes. I mean, I'm not talking about crazy eyes, you know. You see spouses do that all the time, you know. But I mean eye contact. When I have eye contact with a person, I'm saying, you matter. You are a a person that matters to me. You're important. I'm going to stop right here, and I'm going to listen to you. And then while they're talking, I can kind of repeat back and summarize exactly what they've said. But as I'm listening, I am affirming you. I'm giving you value. I'm giving you dignity you got to hear people's messages. Uh, my wife is a director of a family medicine residency here in town. And part of her job is that she has to go and recruit uh, residents. And so we'll go to these different parties, and there are medical students that are there. And these medical students, they don't know me, but they think I'm a doctor when I first come in. And they'll start schmoozing me. I mean, they're up there like, hey, how are you doing, you know, hey, buddy, you know, all this kind of stuff. I'm like, hey, no problem, you know. And then pretty soon they find out that I'm just the spouse of the doctor. And I've seen it so many times before. I'm still talking to them, and they're like looking over my shoulder. Like, I wonder if that person could do something for me wonder if someone else, I mean, not the pastor, maybe there's another director or somebody over there that could do something more for me. And I was thinking about it this week. How do you treat people that can't do jack for you? How do you treat the people in your life that they can't do anything for you whatsoever? How do you treat people who can't help you make more money or give you a pat on the back, give you the corner office, help you get a promotion? How do you treat people that can't do anything for you? The person who hears the messages of other folks is a person who has great self-esteem. They are building a construction site through hearing. Last thing, the T. The T stands for touch. You touch their hearts. You want to build the self-esteem of other people? You touch their hearts. Jesus was all about giving appropriate touches to the people he came into contact with. In fact, you should do a study sometime in any of the Gospels, Matthew, Mark, Luke, John, first four books, of the New Testament, and see how many times the word touch is mentioned. Because Jesus knew how important touch was. There was a study that was done by UCLA a few years ago that said that the average person to be healthy and to have a healthy self-esteem needs eight to ten touches every day. But sometimes, you know, people can be a little bit too touching. You know what I mean? Like, too touchy. One time I was teaching at this uh, church one time and uh, I had known this lady's daughter and she ran up to me like this. She's like, I want to give you a hug from my daughter. And I'm like, no, if your daughter's here and she wants to hug me, but we're not like transferring hugs, you know, appropriate touching, a pat on the back, a handshake. It just says, you're okay. You can do it. It's powerful to have touch. If you take a baby from the hospital, and the baby's born, and then no one ever touches the baby, you just leave the baby there, that baby is going to die. We have to touch. We need meaningful, appropriate touches. And in marriage, guys, this means non-sexual touching. I've heard it exist. I don't know, but I've heard it exists. The Bible says this, so encourage each other and build each other up just as you are already doing. You know, it takes 10 positive things, folks, to erase one negative thing. But we always remember the negative because that's our sin nature. But if Someone is going to give you positive stuff. It takes ten of those to equal out the one negative. That's why most of the stuff that comes out of our mouths, folks, really should be positive. So Jesus was an expert at developing a construction site in people's lives and building them up. And he's calling us to come and to join him, to be subcontractors with him. Jean Thompson taught the fifth grade. She was an excellent teacher. And she was the kind of teacher that wanted to treat all of her students exactly the same. And the first day of school, she gathered all of her students together and she said, I want you to know I'm going to treat all of you equally. I will not play any favorites. But it's hard not to play favorites, isn't it? I mean... Workplace, parenting, whatever. It's very difficult not to play favorites. There was one student in her class that she did not like. His name was Teddy Stutter. He had an attitude about him, he kind of had this unkeptness about him. When she'd ask questions, he only gave one word answers. And sometimes when she was talking about something that was really interesting to the rest of the class. He'd just be staring off out the window, not being interested in anything at all. Gene Thompson didn't like Teddy. But if Gene Thompson would have only delved in a little bit deeper to his life, if she would have read the transcripts, she would have seen something different. His first grade teacher said this, Teddy shows promise, but he has some difficulty learning. In the second grade, his teacher penned this. Teddy is a good boy, but he is so serious. He has trouble connecting with other students. His mother is terminally ill. His father doesn't seem to care. In the third grade, the teacher said, Teddy is depressed. He is a deeply disturbed young man. He needs psychiatric help, and I don't know what to do with him. His mother died this year. Fourth grade, he is falling behind terribly from the other students. I don't think he's going to make it. And the records were right there. It's just that Gene Thompson never read them. She didn't understand Teddy. It was the last day of school before Christmas break, and all of the students gathered these presents that they had wrapped in Christmas paper, and they brought to Mrs. Thompson. Surprisingly, Teddy Stoddard brought her a gift as well, but he brought it in a paper sack. And when he walked up to put his paper sack, all the other kids started laughing at him. Mrs. Thompson, though, opened it and inside it was a rhinestone bracelet with half of the rhinestones gone and a bottle of perfume that was already half empty. And the kids, they're all laughing at Teddy. Yet, Jean Thompson had the wherewithal at that point to put the rhinestone bracelet on her wrist and to spray the rest of that perfume on her neck. Then she held all the The gifts out in front. And she said, isn't this wonderful? Isn't this beautiful? Isn't it amazing? Thank you so much, Teddy. And the bell rang, and the students filed out of the class. All of them left the room, except for Teddy. And Teddy walked up to the desk, and he said, Mrs. Thompson, that rhinestone bracelet sure looks beautiful on your wrist just like it did on my mom's. And he walked up and he said, You smell just like my mom. Thank you so much, Mrs. Thompson, for liking my gift. And then he turned and he walked out of the classroom. Jean Thompson said that in that moment, she got on her knees in the classroom and said, God, forgive me. Because I've not sought to be a teacher that really loves students. I've just been a teacher of facts. After Christmas break, when the students came back, she totally turned around her idea of the way that she would teach. She would have intensity, and she would know her students so well. All of her students. And she had definitely wanted to invest in Teddy. And by the end of the fifth grade, he had caught up with all of the other students, and he was on the right track. But after fifth grade, she lost contact with Teddy, didn't get to uh, hear from him at all for a very, very long time. And then one day, she gets this note in the mail. It simply said this, Dear Mrs. Thompson, I graduated high school today, second in my class. I thought you might want to know, love... Teddy Stoddard. Four years later, she didn't hear from him during this whole time, but she gets another letter from him, and it read this. Dear Mrs. Thompson, I graduated valedictorian. The university was tough with working and studying, but I liked it. Love, Teddy Stoddard. Four years later, she had not heard from him at all during this time, but four years later, she gets another note that says... Dear Mrs. Thompson, you can now call me Theodore J. Stoddard, M.D. Would you have ever believed it? By the way, I'm getting married on July 26, and would love you to come and to sit where my mom would have sat. You're all the family I have. Daddy died this year. Love, Teddy Stoddard. Jean Thompson attended that wedding. She sat in the seat that Teddy's mom would have sat in. You see, Jean Thompson knew something about building construction sites. And this week, I just wonder whether you and I will do the same. Let's stand for closing prayer. And if I could, any of the prayer uh, team that wants to come up and pray, um, please come up. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for being our architect. And thank you for sending your Holy Spirit to be the contractor. And Jesus, help us to be subcontractors this week. For some of us, it might mean taking that little card that we have and to invite someone to build them up, to let them know that someone cares about them, to build them up with encourage and to empower them and to build up their self-esteem. Help us to see every single person we meet this week as a construction site. As people who are your masterpiece and as people that you call us to reach out and to love. Give us courage and strength this week, God, to walk across rooms, to walk across factory floors, to walk across neighborhoods, to invite coworkers and neighbors and friends and family to be built up by your Holy Spirit. Come now, we pray. Use us this week and help us to have the type of love that Gene Thompson had for her classroom. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Have a great week. Know you're loved in this place. Get a book before you leave.